All right, everybody, we're in Malachi, and um, we're going to keep pushing through this. I like whenever he talks about the priests, because that gives us a little disconnect. Um, and then he gets to the people, and then that's whenever I'm going to be chilling, and Andy is going to be up here talking to y'all, okay? Not to me, because I'm not listening to that podcast. I'm going to stay completely disconnected. But y'all do keep in mind this, um, what first Peter um, tells us that, that though there is the, the Levitical priesthood, though there were Aaron and his priests, though there was the tabernacle um, and all the, those forms and modes of worship back then, we now are the royal priesthood. We are the temple that is being built up upon him, the cornerstone. And so, um, so we, we do want to keep that parallel in mind, but really one of the reasons that we want to look at Malachi is... Um, this is, again, we're going to keep putting this in front of you. This was the final prophet, and then after this prophet, God was silent for over 400 years. I mean, at what point, like what was going on where God, who has endured all with his great long suffering and kindness and discipline and patience, he sent them into Babylonian exile and then brought them back. But then at a certain point, he just goes, I'm done talking, right? And then we want to heed this. And then as Andy and I were in our elders meeting and, and talking through Malachi, we both just kind of were humbled by the fact of how fitting is this book for us today, like in our culture, where we are right now. And so we want to heed this and we want to be very, very, at the same time, humble. So we want to heed what was going on, what were they doing wrong, and then we want to be humble enough to say, oh my word, like, is this who we are as cross life, as pastors, as a people? Like, what does Malachi show us that we need to know for the holiness of God? So with that said, we're going to keep pushing into Malachi. We're in Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And James, by the way, this is working perfectly. James solved a technology issue that I was having. Um, it's working awesomely. Thank you so much. So Malachi 2, here we go. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offerings and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him, with Levi, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Man. We need to have a pastor's conference and start with that one, right? 
there is much there that really needs to be preached to pastors and pastors alone, elders, whatever we want to call them. But this is something to be heeded. But, oh, royal priesthood, there's something to be heeded for us as well. And there's something that we need to gain from this too that I'm going to mention it here because I don't think I will remember to mention it later, but we live in a time whenever there are churches everywhere and there are many things being preached that do not promote the glory of God. They are not about the gospel of Christ. They are a lot of philosophers and stories and joke tellers and orators, and they are not proclaiming the goodness of God and providing for people what they need, which is the word of God. And yet the people of God know this, and they will say something to the effect of, well, I don't agree with the pastor, or I agree he should be doing this or that, but it's my church, and I was here first. Or, but I'm here, and maybe, you know, one day he'll move on. Y'all, by sitting under that leadership, they are influenced by it, and they are endorsing it. And I'm saying the same thing of Cross Life Fort Smith. What the men, um, we were small in our gathering this Wednesday night too, but what we discussed was the elders, whenever we get up and preach, we are not untouchable. We are accountable. And so we want that accountability to where if I say something that's amiss, I want Trent to, well, I'll tell you what. What scripture seems to show me is that Trent has the responsibility to come alongside and say, you said this and you preached. And while it was really good, where was the gospel in it? Where was Christ? How was God glorified? Like there is that accountability that, that is there in the brotherhood and the people. So keep that in mind that I made myself open to men. I know Andy is too, that Whenever we get up, we're not given a presentation. We want to faithfully proclaim the word. And if we want to be sanctified in the truth, then only the word is truth. And therefore, if we preach anything amiss, then we should absolutely be so humble as to hear, you didn't feed your sheep today. Or you gave us some, but not really. So we want to not, as Cross Life, enter the realm of Malachi. And the way for that is to begin with the priest, begin with the pastors, begin with the leadership. We do have a high view of the pulpit and, and eldership here. Um, we're, we're very slow um, to, to make the next decision on the, the next elder or elders. We are slower to make some of our decisions because we want to be very intentional. But we're very, very cautious of whenever we get up to preach that if we do not see it in Scripture, then it's something that we don't preach. And if we ever begin to preach amiss then what we discussed in men's is may there be somebody bold enough within the church to shut the door, okay? That's not a cause for anarchy, and it's not a cause for, well, Ricky said this today. What would you think about it? I didn't like that either. No, I don't think he's right. And all this side talking, that's not biblical. But to hear something preached and to not believe that it fulfills what we see in Scripture and it does not glorify God, yeah, I don't. I don't want to be one of these priests who fools myself into thinking that I'm doing something so much greater than I am. I know Andy doesn't want that. And I know the heart of elders going forward in cross life would not want that either. There is accountability with us because there's a greater accountability that we're going to talk about.
before God. There is a judgment, and those who teach are held to a higher account. And so we don't get up here because we're experts. We get up here because God called us and said, you have no choice in the matter. And so here we are. Um, But I want us to keep in mind that we need to see the priests for what they were doing, how they dishonored God. But, but sometimes you and I need to lovingly encourage those who are sitting un, under, like clearly unhealthy, not equipping, not edifying preaching at all, and they fully admit it, and their motive is, well, it's my church, I just got to stay here. They are being influenced, and they're also endorsing that kind of leadership. And if it doesn't honor God... God's not going to honor it, and they're accountable for that. So we got to find ways to lovingly come alongside and say, I hear you, but is that what would please God? And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it does. Sometimes God is going to call his people to stay in an unhealthy church so that they may influence others and disciple them. We can't figure that out, but we just want people to know that the country club membership mentality is not a thing for church. The accountability, the covenant membership That's what we're called to, to the glory of Christ. Okay, y'all with me? I'm trying to keep my soapbox in the corner. This is a big thing for me. I actually worked with a teacher, and um, whenever she would hit a topic, she would go get this box, and she would pull it out, and she would stand on it, and it said soapbox, or it said my soapbox on it. So pastors, preaching, pulpit, leadership, um, those are all really big things to me. And I think that that's why this resonates with me. So my temptation here is to hit my soapbox. So I wanted to go ahead and share that because what I want you to take from it from the beginning is God cares about not that somebody calls themselves a priest or not because they offer the sacrifices, not because they get up and do something in his name, but he really cares about the heart of those priests and pastors, and they will be held accountable. I am going to be held accountable for this sermon that I preached today. I'm accountable for the sermon that I preached last Sunday. I'm accountable for all of that. Not really to you. You and I can have a, I mean, like a little bit. That's not the one that terrifies me. That's uncomfortable. But I will have to stand before God and give an account for my teaching. We need this. Not just at Cross Life, but in every church. I'd much rather there be 500 churches of small congregations that are all faithfully preaching than to have like five mega churches that are faithfully pre- like just as much faithful preaching reaching as many people as possible. Okay, so what's going on here? What's the problem? Number one, God is going to curse the priests. That's what we see, and it gets pretty graphic. Like this is one of those verses that that they don't put on the t-shirts or the coffee mugs. But verse three, I mean, if if verse ten of chapter one concerned us, and we're like, wow, like if somebody would shut the door and stop the sacrifices, then verse 3 is like the one up to that. Whenever he says, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces and dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Man, okay, so translation, God's not happy. I'm going to break that down here in just a second. But, but let's start working through this because look at verse 1. He says, now, O priest, this command is for you. Like, this is what he's going to tell them. He says, if you will not listen, because he's been speaking, right? He's told them from the beginning what he wants. 
If you will not take it to heart, and look at this. We see this word again. To give honor to my name, says, that Lord of Ho- says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And if you see later in Malachi, those curses are already in place. But God directly talks to them because of this. And this was, this was my heart with how we began at the, be- the beginning of all this. That as the priests are, so will the people be. The church will naturally become like the pastor or pastors. It will. They will take on maybe not the personality um, completely, but definitely the walk of the pastor, the passions of the pastor, the preaching of the pastor. Those are very formative. Um, This is formative what we do. It's a, a technical term that we are forming the ideologies, the theology, the discipleship. Like this is very formative. We're all being formed by this. So as the priests are, so the people will be. These priests were corrupt. So guess what the people will be? Corrupt. If the priests are corrupt, so the people are corrupt. And we're going to see that and how it manifests um, in the people. But because of their slack and reverence, the people are going to be slack in their reverence as well. If the priests are just like, it's just an offering. It's not a big deal. The people are going to walk away going, it's just an offering. It's not a big deal. If the priests say, Oh, yeah, God is great. He's good. But, you know, like, it's okay. Like, you're, you're just having a rough life right now. You know what the people are going to go away saying? God is good and holy, yes, but, but it's okay. Like, whatever the priests are, then the people will ultimately become. And so we want to be mindful of that. And so God is starting with the priest. He's starting with the, the headship of his church himself. I have always loved you. And then those whom I have loved, I have put caretakers over you, and you're not doing your job, and my people are falling away. And at the heart of it all, y'all, is this irreverence really comes down to, to honor. We saw it in the beginning that, that a son, in verse 6 of chapter 1, a son honors his father. Where's my honor? Now he comes back in chapter 2. He says, if you're not going to take it to heart and give honor to my name at the core of what was wrong with the priest and the people is that they no longer honored the Lord as God. He was no longer honored in their midst. And so what they've really done is they've neglected to honor God. And this was their chief sin. And so I want to stop here because I think that this might be helpful for us, like in the big scale. Like we need to know what the priests are doing wrong. But, but what's really going on is, their, their wrong blemishes, the fact that they are teaching with partiality, the fact that they are leading others into sin, all is rooted in, in honor, in their lack of honor. There's a root sin is what I'm saying. Like we see these manifestations in the people and in the priest, and it looks like, oh, my goodness, they have all these things wrong, when really it's all just one seed of dishonor before the Lord. And that's how it's going to work in our lives. I mean, we might see, like for, my, like for me, you might be able to look at me and say, oh, there's this problem and this problem and this problem or this problem. Or if you need help, I'll give you a list, right, of here's where, I've, here's where I struggle, here's where I'm going wrong, here's where I need help. Like I can give you all of this. And really, those are all just symptoms of a root problem. Gavin right now is, is home, and he woke up yesterday with a really sore throat. And, and we tried dealing with that, and... I didn't have my best dad moments in my sympathy with a sore throat. And whenever you say, you got to take a cough drop, I don't like cough drops. 
well, you got to take this medicine. That's disgusting. I'm not doing that. And then to have that age-old parent-child battle with medicine. I didn't have my best dad moments, but, but he had this symptom then. And then later he had um, some fatigue that set in to where I'm going, okay, we had a throw. We've, we've got some, some really, really tired kid here. And then we check his temperature, and he's got this symptom. Well, you can map all those symptoms, and each one is its own symptom. You can treat each symptom individually, or you begin to realize that there's something much deeper, that there's actually a virus that's causing this right here. Y'all, there are, there are core um, root sins that will embed themselves in our hearts. And everything that we struggle with and everything else that we deal with is probably just symptomatic of this root sin. And so I found um, through, through reading, through, through studying with others, through watching and walking with people in life that, that usually there's three main ones, three main heart issues. And then Malachi shows us a fourth one that might very well fit into one of these. And you might even hear these and say, oh, Ricky, those are all one because John Piper says at the root of all sin is unbelief. Like he narrows it down to one. At the root of all sin is unbelief is what John Piper says. And who am I to argue with him? What I'm going to say is that the, the sins we see, I have found, typically get rooted back to about three to four different areas. And whenever I am a decade later in the ministry, then I will probably say, here's some more, or I, I should have clarified that differently. But but I think that they are these. Idolatry. In our hearts, we have placed something else before being deeply satisfied in God. That's what idolatry is. We place something else before being deeply satisfied in God. We find our joy and our happiness in so many other things. So many good things that God has blessed us. But whenever good things in our lives become the God things in our lives, then that's idolatry. So God has blessed you with a family. Fantastic, wonderful, absolute blessing, except whenever the family becomes your deepest source of satisfaction. He has blessed us with jobs and, and money. Absolutely good, and it provides for us. But whenever those good things that God has given us become the God thing in our lives and we're most satisfied in like finances and our, 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 our belongings, then that's become idolatry. My wife... Absolutely, according to Scripture, she is a gift from God. I cannot deny that. But whenever I find myself deeply satisfied in her and then that becomes a source of how I operate and how that affects me, then my good wife has become a God thing in my life and that becomes idolatry. So at the source of a lot of our sins, maybe it comes down to, number one, idolatry. Maybe it comes down to, number two, unbelief. And I, I realize, like, if you're reading Malachi, you might not say, root sins, how did we get over here? I am, I'm taking a pastoral moment to say that they had a root sin. These are root sins that we also need to be watching for. So I hope you understand that. But unbelief, basically, we do not believe that God is who he says he is, does what he says he will do, or means what he says he means. I'll do it again. Don't worry. I got you, Mac. But basically, we, we don't believe that God really is in that moment who he says he is. Or the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we don't believe it in that moment. Or the God who says, I will provide everything you need, don't worry, in that moment, we don't believe it. Whenever we have unbelief, 
We do not believe that God is who he says he is, does what he says he will do, or that he really means what he says he means. In other words, we begin to doubt who God is. And whenever unbelief sets in, whenever doubt sets in, a whole manner of sins can be justified. Third one, pride. Pride is another root sin. If I were going to consider that at the the root of all sin is unbelief, I would say probably at the root of all sin is pride because pride is what fuels our unbelief. Pride is what causes us to doubt. Pride is what, and, and that may have been what, what Piper said so long ago, and then I put unbelief in there, or maybe he said it's unbelief and pride. I'm not sure. I can just tell you in my experience, what, what I believe is at the root of all sins is pride. But I also think that, that we can be more specific at, Lord, what needs to be rooted out of me. So I'm saying pride here separately. In other words, we do not feel that God should govern this particular part of my life, whether it's my finances, my marriage, my tongue, my time, my whatever. But it is our pride that would say within us that God does not get to govern these things. I get to. He gave me the opportunity to do this. I will show him what I can do with this. That is our pride. And you know what Scripture tells us about pride? Like of all the other sins in the Bible that it lists out that seem so detestable to us, he detests our pride. He hates the proud. I mean, there's a heavy condemnation for pride. And then I think what we could add here, though it probably fits into one of these subcategories based on Malachi, though, is honor. I think that how we honor, how we stand in reverence of the Lord or lack of reverence, we could say, well, pride, because we position ourselves as God, we don't see him, so there's the lack of honor. That, that if we don't believe God, well, there's a, there's a lack of honor um, if we have idols, it's, it's honoring those and not God. So, yes, absolutely. But, but I think really God is clear that this is a root sin of the priest. He says, where's my honor? You should honor me. Where's my honor? You should honor me. And then whenever Andy is so graciously <laughs> navigating through a very heavy, heavy passages, um, you know what the people have lost? They no longer honor God. All symptoms, all symptomatic things that we can look at and we can treat each one. Yes, you need to need to set up this. You need to have these safeguards. You need to do counseling for this. You need to make sure you have accountability for this. You need to repent of this and repent of this and repent. And we spend all of our time trying to manage our sins rather than just rooting out the sin that's at the heart of it. And only God can tell you the sin that's at the heart of it. I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know what Satan has sown there or what yourself has cultivated there. I know what mine is, and it's absolutely 100% pride. No, it is. And I think I get it. And then dadgummit, you go out to your gardens, and there's all these pretty bushes, and then you're like, oh, what's that pretty plant over there? And it's got flowers and green leaves. And then somebody who knows something about gardens are like, you know, that's a weed, right? I was like, but it's pretty. Like, look at it. Like, it's got all this life. It's a weed. Like, you need to root that out. So be mindful. The priest and the people are reflecting the sins of something, though, that is so much, deeply, so much more deeply rooted. And they can't say that they didn't know. But, but just so you understand where I'm, 
Malachi 1.6, you can see the word honor there. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And then he goes into how they're not offering the right sacrifices. In Malachi 2, he says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart and give honor to my name. So this is the sin that they've committed. That's what I want you to hear. The sin that they have committed is that they have no longer honored God. And because they no longer honored God as God, there is a whole, a whole slew of sins that they are committing. And it's affecting others. Sin will affect others, y'all. And the higher and the more in leadership you are, the greater the span and the scope of who that sin will reach. But sin reaches others, and we're foolish to believe it doesn't, especially whenever we try to live life in community. My sin will affect you. Your sin will affect me. Sometimes that's to the praise and the glory of God. Sometimes it increases the illness, but it's something that we deal with together. Like you and I need that accountability, but their sin is affecting others. And so I want to keep going on. But because of their, their lack of honor, they no longer honor God. They no longer are willing to sacrifice. And because they're no longer willing to sacrifice, they're no longer worthy representatives of God. They have lost that honor within them. So here's what my prayer for us is. is may the Lord grant us the strength and the wisdom to not only see the manifestation of sin in our lives, but the root of it as well. May God show us the weeds of deep-seated sin in our lives. Idolatry, unbelief, pride, lack of honor, because they lead to so many other sins. Whenever these sins are deeply rooted, we have things within us like unforgiveness and selfishness, bitterness, slander, gossip, lust, greed, and we can go on and on and on because of just one little seed of a deep-seated sin. Theirs began with honor and it ended in disregard of His holiness. But think of one person right now. I'm still taking my pastoral moment, but I, I, I really feel like this is the right moment for it. Think of one person with whom you have brokenness right now. And peel back those layers and see what might be at the heart of it on your side. What root sin could potentially be there whenever there's brokenness between you and somebody else. We might very well find that, that there's one of these. Or think of a sin, a feeling, a doubt that you have right now. You peel back those layers and, and you see what's at the heart of that. Is there anything much deeper like idolatry, unbelief, pride, or lack of honor? We see the sins of the priest, and it's easy for us to judge them. We weren't seeing their heart. God was seeing their heart, and he was calling their heart to account. And dealing with the heart has such greater reach. I mean, think about whenever we were sinners and we were saved and God gave us that new heart, how much instantly changed in that moment. But then as we walk life as Christians and that callousness, begins to set in and that reverence begins to wane and we are no longer moved by the gospel anymore, then we get those calluses and we get used to it and our soft heart is made hard and sin so easily begins to creep back in. So again, may God grant us the wisdom and the strength and may the Holy Spirit within us cultivate our hearts 
because God has indeed given us a new heart through Christ, through his blood, so that we can live for him and be dead to sin. But we got to be willing to be humble enough to do the work too. He'll give us the strength, but the repentance is ours. We've got to do that. And his repentance is granted to us. It is his gift. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back. All right, pastoral moment over, but the priests needed to deal with their main rooted sin. We need to deal with our main rooted sin. All right, so here we are. Basically, here's the problem with the priest. They have wayward hearts. And we see the other prophets talk about this. We see it in Isaiah that they're bringing their goats, their, their burnt offerings, their bulls. They're bringing everything according to the law, and they're offering them, and God is saying, take them away. I have no pleasure in them. Why? Because their hearts are wayward. Every action that you and I can go through that sounds good and looks good on the outside, if our hearts are amiss, then we're not honoring God, and he knows it. We're fooling everybody else. There have been times whenever Chas has said, well, why would such and such, none of you, okay, by the way, but why would they dress that way? Why would they talk that way? Look, everybody's looking at this and going, and like, why is that okay? And my response is, like, Jesus dealt with that, and he told his disciples, they have their reward here. All the people are applauding them. Everybody's giving them the full attention they need. But one day, what Jesus is saying, they have everything that they want right here. They have it here. But one day, they're going to be before God. They're going to be accountable. People know better. But sinners are sinners, the redeemed are the redeemed, and we don't get to act like one another, and we can't expect the other to act like one another. So the priests have wayward hearts. They do not honor God. And so what he says is, I, verse 3, I will rebuke your offspring. Parents, how terrifying is that? Stop there. Because of your wayward hearts, priests, because of the wayward hearts of the people, I will rebuke your offspring. They won't even get to know me because of who you are. Well, Ricky, that's not very just of a loving and kind and gracious, forgiving God who knows that there were all sinners. You know what he tells us at the beginning? Is that he will visit the sins of the fathers on the sons and daughters. God gets to do whatever he wants to do. But whenever apostasy and lack of, of reverence have set in so deeply into this culture, the just God says, you know what your punishment will be? That everything that you take for granted, I'm going to show you that by birthright, you don't just get to claim to be my people anymore. I will reject your offspring because you have rejected to honor me. Now, we stand before a just and holy God, and sin is real, and we are way too flippant about it. You know what makes me want to walk in holiness? Whenever I read something that says, I will rebuke your offspring because you do not honor me. I got three kids, and it terrifies me to think that he would rebuke them. We don't get to piddle with sin before a holy God, y'all. Did he tell us this right here? This is what we're worthy of. But then he sent Christ who while we were yet enemies, while we were the ungodly, he would die for us and he would forgive us of our sins. I do not doubt the gospel of Christ. I doubt our commitment to the gospel. Do we really, truly believe in such a way that we desire to live holy, godly lives? There is a difference there. I do not doubt Christ's sufficiency. I doubt my commitment. I doubt the fact that I, that I hold strong to him in a godly way. 
we can get into theological discussions on that. I'm just telling you how terrifying and humbling I will rebuke your offspring. And then this is weird. He says, I will spread dung on your faces. I'm sorry. Like, you just get to those moments in Scripture where you just go, <laughs> like, can God say that? I'm going to spread dung on your face? Like, God can't say that. That's disgusting. So were the priests. That's the point. This is who they had become to him. Oh, God is long-suffering and kind and gracious. He will forgive us of everything. He will tolerate me until... He will spread dung on their faces and on their offerings. Okay, so here's what you need to know, and here's why this is powerful. First off, the priests had to live holy, pure lives. So this would be incredibly offensive to them. This is the, like the ultimate filth, and it's going to be spread on their faces. The other one, go to Exodus 25. So what I think is neat is that long ago we decided that God was leading us to, to teach Malachi. And long ago, I started this Bible study, uh, my own reading through the Bible at whatever pace that God has for me. And it just so perfectly aligns that I am in Exodus, right where the temple and the priest and the offerings are being introduced at the same time that we are preaching through Malachi. So we get to Exodus 25, and I believe that the exact passage... Oh, I'm sorry, Exodus 29, verse 14. Um, 25 is kind of where I started going, oh, Lord, you, you're doing something really cool there. But look at Exodus 29, 14. He's talking about the consecration of the priests and, and how they're going to be consecrated and the, the ephod, the breast piece, and what will be sprinkled and what it won't, and the offerings are going to be made in 29, 14. He says, but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is an offering. The dung or other translations have the word O-F-F-A-L, offal. I don't know, not like a, not a farm guy. Sounds awful. How do you say it the right way? It's awful. Okay, good. That's what. It's just the scrap and There you go. So the scrap and the waste. And so, and we lose that. That's a more fitting term um, than, than just dung, right? Because we naturally think of the dung beetle, you know, the heroic dung beetle. Like we go, and what dung means there. And even my kids would be sitting here in church going, <laughs> dung, okay, in the Bible. But, but it referred to every other part that was not useful for the offering, that was not fitting for the offering. All the, as my grandpa would say, all the innards and the gizzards. Like it was everything else that was to be cast away the priests were to take certain parts of, of the offering and they were to take blood from it. They were to bless it. They were to consecrate. Like it was acceptable to be offered in the tabernacle. And then this awful, awful, because that's how I always heard it growing up, but I, I really do believe you because I'm like, that sounds awful. And then and the dung, whatever it is, whatever that translation is, it was to be taken not outside of the tabernacle or the temple. It was to be taken outside of the camp, outside of the city. As You had to get it outside, and then that's where you burned it, and it was a sin offering. So whenever, G, I'm sorry, whenever God is speaking to them and he says, I will spread that dung on your faces so that you can be taken away with it, what he really means is you are no longer a worthy sacrifice for me either. 
Whenever it is taken away, you see in Exodus 29, 14 what that means. It means that it has to be taken outside the city and burnt. It is a sin offering. Whenever we see that and we go back to Malachi and we understood their, we understand their law and how they're going to hear it, number one, absolutely disgusting and impure. Number two, he is absolutely rejecting me. He doesn't even not only want me in his temple, he doesn't want me in his city. I am to be burned outside. Like that is the desecration of the priesthood. That is how corrupt they had absolutely become. Does that make sense? So it's a weird thing to say, no doubt about it. But there is a deep connection in their law. He saw them as they were not holy sacrifices, as we are called to be church. They were pleasing to God because of their service. They were the dung. They were the awful. They could be removed from God's people and sacrificed outside the camp. That's how deep it had gotten in the priesthood. Okay, so do not neglect the warning that we see here. The other parts are going to go much quicker, but we've got to look at their curse. But, but don't neglect the warning that we have here. Make sure that we have men of genuine godliness who fulfill the task of being elders or godly priests slash pastors. And make sure that, that we're holding that sort of level of accountability and respect for them. But they will be held accountable to God for God. But their main problem was honor. Now look at this. He says, now, now there's Levi. This is verses 4 through 7. He says, I'm going to curse you. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave it to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. Reverence, like it's that reverent awe. He stood, look at it, I love this. He stood in awe of my name. What if that were, I'm sorry, like what if that were your reputation? Like that's what God, this is what God is telling us of Levi. He stood in awe of my name. It goes on. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Okay, truth is, y'all, we don't know a whole lot about Levi. We do know that uh, he was a third son of Jacob and Leah. We do know that he was, a, he was an avenger, like he, he avenged his sister. We also know that whenever Moses comes down, uh, and so that was Levi, and then Levi's ancestors are the Levites, and so the Levitical priesthood. But we also know that whenever Moses came down from the mountain and they are worshiping the golden calves, then Moses goes to the Levites and he says, avenge, and they go kill, I believe it's 3,000 um, for worshiping the golden calf. Levi was a powerful avenger for the glory of God. We don't know much else, to be quite honest. What we do know is what God tells us right here. Here's everything that God's Word wants to make sure we know about Levi. Because you read some of those and you're like, man, I mean, that's violent, that's bloody. And then God's saying that he's the true priest. Look at this. Look, just look at the criteria. He had covenanted with God. And then he feared me means he had a reverential fear of the Lord. Hebrews tells us it is a fearful thing. I'm sorry. It is a fearful thing to be in the hands of a living God. And Levi exemplified that. He honored God in his heart. 
He had true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. Levi taught the people of God to be the people of God with true instruction. In other words, he guarded his instruction. He guarded his tongue. Y'all, the greatest uh, instruction that, that a pastor can give to his people is how to be more like Christ. It tells us in Hebrews that in, in uh, long ago and in many and diverse ways, God spoke through his prophets in various means, but now he speaks through his son. And we are being made like him. In fact, the word Christian literally means little Christ. Like that's who we are. We are ambassadors. And so the pastor should be walking with people and telling the people, here's what it means to honor Christ with your life by being like Christ. So true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. God says he walked with me in peace and in uprightness, righteousness, and he turned many from their iniquity. So both in public and in private, he had a life of peace and purity. This is, a, this is the life, the priesthood that honors who God is. And I do fear it's what we're missing in the pulpit these days. A reverential fear of our holy God who has redeemed us because of his own mercy and grace. And yet a lack of righteousness. And then look at this. Levi turned many from their sins. This is what he did. Sounds like he didn't back down from calling sin what it was. Doesn't sound like he coddled people. Doesn't sound like he tolerated sin. Was he gracious or was he abrupt? We don't know, but what we know is that he turned many from their sins. And what James tells us in the New Testament, because this is all Old Testament, and Levi's even further in the Old Testament, what we know in the New Testament, James says that if anyone turns a brother from his sin, he saves him from death. That was what Levi did. And then just an extra note says the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is not Ricky saying you should absolutely be seeking counsel from me. You should be like I am your sole source of wisdom. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. Like I, I should be the one. There should be some weight to what the pastor says, but I don't have all that. Knowledge. I don't have all that wisdom, but, but here's, I think, what it comes down to. If you don't trust your pastor to give you advice or to lead you or to at least point you in the right direction, you probably don't need to be sitting under that pastor. I mean, that's just truth. If you can't trust them, probably don't need to be under them. Is the trust on your side or their side? Is it both? That's an issue I can't resolve either. But whenever I talk to people of, well, you should probably talk to your pastor about that. Well, you know, we don't really see eye to eye on that issue. I'm like, Bigger alarm going on here than this issue. But Levi walked in such a way with such integrity. Get that. He walked with such integrity that people trusted whatever he said. If, if this is what he says, then this must be right and it must be God honoring. And God pulls all this out to tell them, Levi was my priest and he did it right. And you have it. I'm done with you. You know, we have a, a lot of Christian personalities preaching a lot of great Christian philosophies, a lot of good messages, a lot of great orators. You know, if you want to go on a pulpit search committee, if I, if I want to go um, audition at another church, they want to hear and see me preach. Some of that is content. Some of that is presentation. And some of that is performance. We put way too much weight on performance. Yeah. 
way, way too much on performance and personality and, quote, leadership, and not enough on the integrity and the purity of life and the priesthood. So be mindful. There may come a day whenever I'm not able to stand here and Andy's not able to stand here and there has to be a new priest or, oops, sorry, new pastor. We don't call them priests today, right? Because, never mind, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> I worked in a Catholic school for nine years, so whenever I said that, it almost became a, a, a habit. I'm sorry. Um, but, but there may be a time whenever you have to call another pastor. Read Malachi before you do. Make sure that you see Malachi and the priest for what they can be and see Levi for what God has designed us to be. I'm going to move on, the corruption of the priest, and then why does it matter to us? He says, but you, the priest, they've turned many from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. So the way that they have instructed and preached to the people has actually caused people to stumble and sin. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Two main things we see there. They caused people to stumble in their instruction. And how do they do this? The last four words. Five, you show partiality in your instruction. They care more about how men esteem them rather than how God esteems them. They're, they show instruction. They're doing it, but it's very partial. Who's in the congregation? How will they feel? And then even that partiality, which James tells us all partiality is sin. Whenever we or any pastor gets up to preach, we need to be reminded that while we preach with you and, and to you, really we preach before the throne of God. And he's listening. So keep that high standard before us. Spurgeon has a great quote. And uh, I'll try to, to get to it in the very end. If not, then I will I'll shoot it to you. Why does all this matter to us? Number one, we need to know what, what was happening that God chose to be silent for 400 years. Here it is. The priests and the pastors no longer honored God. We have many churches that are doing incredible work in gospel ministry. They are honoring the Lord. They are fearing the Lord. They are leading people in righteousness. We are not looking and thinking about them. We also know that there are many churches that are not churches at all. They're just gatherings of people doing their own thing, getting a good message, and it's really watered down, and there's no pursuit of holiness. That is not a church. The priests and the pastors no longer honor God this is one of the reasons that we see that God is silent for 400 years. So if we want to say what happened, the priests and the pastors led this. And God finally says enough is enough. So what we see in, in Malachi, this progression is God always loved them. They chose not to love him. That the priests were offering blemish sacrifices. They knowingly disregarded what God had commanded them. The priests no longer pursued holiness and led others in it. Instead, they chose to dishonor God for the sake of themselves and others. And you know what? We're going to see more of this. But whatever reverence dies in the pulpit, it's going to die in the people as well. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Let that one sink in. I'm going to do that one more time. Not many of you right here also, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, we will be judged with greater strictness. 
there is a higher accountability for the life of the pastor and the priest um, and those who lead. And we will be judged with greater strictness. What we need are, this is my second thing, what, what do we get from all this? We need biblically qualified, Christ-fearing pastors today. It tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be preaching through this later this year. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, translated also elder, bishop, in America we use the word pastor, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone who does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. God says, you know what I want my pastors to look like? This right here. This is the job qualification of his pastors. I don't care if they have an MDiv. I don't care how many years of ministry they have. I don't care how many mission fields they've hit. I don't care how great a speaker they are. If they don't fit the bill, they don't fit the bill, and they're not fit to serve God. This is the call. This is the duty and the obligation and the role and the priorities of the pastor. And if I don't fulfill them, church, then you should vote to have me removed. You absolutely should. Why? Because you want to honor God more than you want to honor me. Every elder has to fit this bill. It's non-negotiable. Who cares how, many, how much learning or experience they have? If they have these, they're fit to serve. Oh, they gain a whole lot at seminary. Absolutely we do. Absolutely. I'm not done with it. And I learned a whole lot. It was really cool. You know what? I forgot a whole lot about it too. But God chooses to take the, the foolish and the weak of the world and says, but if this is their character, then they're going to be my preacher. They're going to be my pastor. So first one, first point of application, we need to know why God was silent. The pastors didn't fear him. Number two, we need biblically qualified Christ-fearing pastors. And then this one, number three, we need the word truly preached and Christ completely proclaimed. Second Timothy, please go to Second Timothy chapter 4. And I did not put the, the Spurgeon quote in here, but, but we will get it. And I hope with this passage in 2 Timothy, you'll see why I'm trying to very deeply connect this to our pulpits and our churches today. I'm going to actually start in verses 3 and 4, Okay. So we're going to start in 3 and 4, and then we're going to go back to 1 and 2. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It gets the warning what Malachi experienced or it's what we see experienced in the book of Malachi it's what we're experiencing right now I'm not knocking genuine churches don't mishear me 
I'm knocking the churches that have accumulated for themselves teachers who suit their own passion and are no longer preaching the truth. And it's leading people. Y'all, it's leading saints. It's leading souls to pursue anything else besides Christ. That's not okay. It's not okay. Now go back to verses 1 and 2. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, look at this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. With complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, where we are today, we're so much closer to Christ's return. When is it? When's the rain? Is it going to be pre, post, mid? Let's go with Spurgeon's pan. Right, it's all going to pan out in the end. We don't know. Choose your scripture, choose your verse, and, and stake your claim, but be ready to move it whenever you read the next verse. We don't know when Christ is returning, but we do know that as we grow increasingly nearer to it, that this, this lack of reverence for God, the accumulation of, of teachers to suit their own fancy, to meet their own itching ears, this will also increase. And they will be held accountable. And I will be held accountable. And Andy and I, as we met this morning and discussed the church and we prayed for each one of you, he will be held accountable. And any other elder that we bring in will be held accountable. Praise God that we are accountable to God and not just you, because that's more terrifying. I can change my address and get off Facebook, right? But I cannot escape God. I hope y'all can, y'all can hear the caution in all of that. Um, this one was um, interesting, and it seems more of like a, well, that's for the pastors. You're accountable for the pastors that you call and that you endure. Make sure you sit under healthy preaching as you walk alongside other saints. Make sure that they are sitting under healthy pastors and preaching, and do not neglect to show them, you know, the people in Malachi, they struggled because they sat under the wrong preaching for way too long. And they were rebuked as well. I won't do it well. Like, I won't, I won't do it the best. What I strive for is before I honor you, I honor God. And if I misspeak, trust me, he's on me. Sometimes he's on me, like right after the meeting, right after our gathering, he's like, really? Like, that was your word for today? Like, that was, you said that? So I want to walk in the way of Levi, because the way of Levi, not, not the Old Testament law, the way of Levi is a heart that <coughs> honors God. That's what we need. That's what we want. That's what you should expect. And that's what you should sit under. I am going to ask that you pray for Andy, because he does have a heavy passage. He is going to be preaching. I'm just going to show it to you real quick so that you can prepare. Um, we normally don't do this, but I want you to understand that Andy's got some heavy topics. But he is going to be preaching Malachi chapter 2. Verse 10 through 16. And then 
Lord willing, Malachi 6 through 15. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? We're going to make up our own book here, our own chapter. I'm sorry, Malachi 3, um, verses 6 through 15. You look at those, and you'll understand. Pray for your, pray for your elder. Pray for your pastor next Sunday. And I'm going to be gone. So it, it's heavy, and he, it's a burden. And as he prepares, he might only choose one of those, and then we'll do the next one the next week. Um, but these are the, 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 the manifestations of sin and the people as they've lost their honor of God as well. But um, keep that in mind. And then here's a pattern we see. God loved them. They did not honor him. 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 He honors himself and sends his messenger and his savior because he is faithful. So the book of Malachi, for all the sin it exposes in us, is actually very helpful because he never relented in fulfilling his promise. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you were honored this morning. Lord, I do pray for anything that I did not communicate clearly or well or in a way that honors you, Lord, that you do forgive me and that you let that that burn away like dross. But, Lord, I do pray that you are honored here honored in the hearts of the elders, honored in our future elders, our future deacons, our future leaders, Lord, honored in your people and by your people. But Lord, show us our sin. If there is a lack of honor within us for whatever reason, Lord, show us that sin and root it out. Lord, so that we can repent and be holy before you. But, Lord, I also pray that you do ingrain in cross life, as we are a young church, that for as long as we endure and you keep us sustained, Lord, that in that, may you always call and equip and bring high character, high reverential men of God who want to walk genuinely before you, both in public and in private, because your name is going to be great and is great among the nations. Lord, teach us what to do with this text today. We love you and praise on your son's holy name. Amen.